Thanks for joining the Inspired Churches podcast. If this is your first time listening in, we're glad you're here. For more information about our church, visit www.inspiredchurches.com. Now, let's listen to the word from Pastor Philip Weller. Let's go ahead and open up to Matthew chapter 6, verse 16. And we're going to be there really briefly. This morning is going to be a bit of a topical sermon, a topical message this morning. So we will be bouncing um, all over scripture. And so um, I will do my best to give you a heads up uh, where we're going next. Um, as you know, we paused the last couple of weeks. Um, we've been going through the Sermon on the Mount, but we paused the last couple of weeks to discuss prayer in the life of a Christian. How many of you had an amazing prayer time at your home groups? Yeah. Good. Um, it was, I got a chance to visit a Hayward home group and um, just heard a bunch of good reports. And so um, I am no doubt in my mind that prayer was um, just amazing. And so we talked about prayer in the life of a believer. And this morning we're pausing on our Sermon on the Mount series before we move on. And we are going to discuss fasting in the life of a believer. So if you have your Bibles and we're at Matthew 6, 16, it's going to be really brief. I'm going to read it really quickly and then we're going to get moving. Scripture says this, Jesus says, and when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites. And what Jesus was referring to was there were those who would fast, but before they would fast, they would put ash on their face. They wouldn't take a bath in the morning and they would purposefully go to the synagogue or the temple and they would look gloomy and sad on purpose so that people can say, oh, there goes somebody who must be fasting. And Jesus was saying, look, you're a hypocrite because you're fasting to be seen and praised by men. And you're taking religion and you're twisting it for your own gain and glorification. So Jesus says, and when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites. Now, later on, and you can kind of keep your, your, your Bible there for a while. But later on, Jesus says something else. That's really interesting in Matthew 9, verse 15. Again, we're talking about fasting. He says this when referring to his disciples. Jesus says, the days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them. And then he makes an important statement. And then they will fast. And then they will fast. Now, when it comes to fasting, Jesus never gives an explicit command. He simply assumes that it would take place in the life of a disciple. In Matthew 6, as we just read, he does not say, if you fast, but he says, when you fast. And then again, in Matthew 9, he does not say, they might fast, but he says, when they fast, or they will fast. So even though we don't find an explicit command, thou shalt fast, even though we don't see that in Scripture, Jesus does indicate that fasting would be normal and expected in the life of a disciple or a believer. Are you with me? Yeah. Now, let's take a moment to define fasting. First, let's explain this. Normal fasting exemplified in Scripture involves abstaining from all food, both solid and liquid, 
but not abstaining from water. Are you with me? Now, I want you to take note. I didn't say Facebook or Instagram. I didn't say you fast the gym. I didn't say you could fast chocolate. Now, all those, these are great examples of things that we could exercise abstaining from in order to focus more on God. I think those are great things, so please don't stop that. Although those are great examples of items that we need to discipline ourselves in, contemporary Christianity needs to learn how to return back to the biblical fast. Are you with me? Now, a man by the name of John Piper, who was a pastor, he said this about fasting, and I, I enjoyed the quote. He said, fasting is a temporary renouncement of something that in itself is good in order to intensify our expression of needing something greater. Let me say that again. And I'm sure it's written up there so you can see it. Fasting is a temporary renouncement of something that in itself is good, like food. Mm. In order to intensify our expression of needing something greater. And that would be God and his work in our lives. Fasting can be done individually. But there are also examples of it being practiced corporately. Well, what do I mean by that? Israel fasted yearly as a nation on the Day of Atonement, and they also called times of corporate fasting during moments of national crisis or emergency. In the scripture, if you'll remember, there was a man by the name of Jonah. Remember, Jonah got swallowed up by a big fish. Well, the Bible says that when he finally started stopped being stubborn and he went to the city of Nineveh, and he preached repentance to that city. And in response to the preaching of repentance, the entire city fasted. In fact, it was so intense that they even made their livestock and cattle fast. Can you imagine? So tell your dogs at home they fasted this week too. <laughs> Kidding. I would never. Now, there are other biblical exam examples that include corporate fasting. For instance, if you read the story of Esther, which is an amazing story, there are a time when Esther asked all of her fellow Jews to go into a fast while they were in captivity. They were fasting for their lives. There's another time, another story of a man by the name of Ezra who led the exiles out of exile to return back home to Israel, and he asked them, the exiles, to fast. Even in modern history, there are examples, too. In 1756, the king of Britain called for a day of fasting. He called for a day of fasting and prayer because the French were threatening to invade. Now, I want you to listen to a pastor by the name of John Wesley. He recorded in his journal during that time. This is what he said. The fast day was a glorious day. Such a day London has scarce seen since the restoration. Every church in the city was more than full. It reminds me of 9-11. Do you remember that Sunday afterwards? Every church was packed. He says, every church in that city was more than full, and a solemn seriousness sat on every face. Surely God hears prayer, and there will yet be a lengthening of our tranquility. Now watch, he continued in a footnote later. Humility was turned into national rejoicing, for the threatened invasion by France was averted. Now, these examples in history excite me and also inspire me. See what I did there? 
It inspires me for what God is going to do this week at Inspire Church. Yes, I got two claps, three claps. Come on. You guys, by the end of the day, I'm like, yes. So this morning, here's what we're going to do. We're going to take a look at three separate examples in Scripture to help us understand how fasting strengthens and nourishes us, how fasting empowers and sends us into ministry, and finally, we'll discuss the revelation of New Testament fasting. What does that look like in the life of a Christian? Are you with me? So, let's turn to Matthew chapter 4, and we're going to read verse 1 through 4. The first point, if you're taking notes this morning, is this. Fasting strengthens and nourishes. Fasting strengthens and nourishes. And we will be turning to Matthew chapter 4. We're going to read 1 through 4. Scripture says this, Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, wow, he was hungry. And the tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. Now I'm going to stop right there before we read verse 4. There's three things I want to point out from what we just read. Number one, Jesus fasted. Jesus fasted. Scripture says he went 40 days without food. So if Jesus walks this earth, fully God and fully man, and he fasted, we should most certainly take note. Number two, what's really crazy is this. I want you to pay attention to this. The very first act of the Spirit in the ministry of Jesus was to lead Jesus into the wilderness to expose him to the devil's testing. You guys read that? Isn't that kind of weird? It says the Spirit of God led Jesus into the wilderness where the Spirit of God knew that, what? The devil would be there waiting to test him. Wait, 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 wait a minute. That doesn't make sense. Isn't the Holy Spirit supposed to lead us away from the enemy? But Jesus is led into the wilderness, and he's exposed to being tested. Think about it. Jesus was not led away, but he was led into a place where the Spirit knew he would be tested. That takes away from our theology that the minute we said yes to Jesus, everything's going to be great. Now, number three. Listen to this. Through the guidance of the Spirit, Jesus prepared himself to meet Satan by fasting. Satan didn't come to him until after he fasted. Are you with me? Now listen, the Son of God had a victory over temptation. He had victory over temptation after he was fasting. I want you to think about all the miraculous powers that were at his disposal. How many legions of angels warfare angels that Jesus could have called down how much unlimited power of all the things Jesus could have used to combat the enemy was fasting in the word of God are you with me now I want you to read let's read verse four together so Satan comes to Jesus after he had fasted and Satan says hey turn these these stones into loaves of bread and here's what Jesus says but he answered it is written You guys ready? Man shall not live by bread alone. 
but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Remember this. One of the major goals of fasting is that we would come to rely less on food and more on God himself. When it comes to fasting, one of the major goals is that we would rely less on food and more on God himself. That we would not feed on food, but that we would feed on God. If we struggle with fasting, it's probably because we focus more on what we're denying rather than what we are receiving. If you're afraid of fasting, if fasting scares you, if there's something about fasting, and I get it, we all have a little bit of that, but it's probably because you are emphasizing what you're losing and you are woefully unaware of what you're gaining. Fasting is not, hear, hear's me, hear me out, fasting is not just about abstaining from food, but it's about opening up the word and feasting from God's words. Are you with me? Now I want you guys to get this. The Gospel of John tells a story where Jesus spends all day ministering in a Samaritan town. In fact, you can find it if you're taking notes in John 4, verse 31. And I'm going to read John 4, 31 through 32, and it'll probably be up here. You don't have to turn there. But listen to this story. Jesus had been ministering all day in a town called Samaria. Well, in a Samaritan town. Scripture says this. Meanwhile, the disciples were urging him, saying, Rabbi, you need to eat. Have you ever did that? Somebody been working all day? Maybe a husband, a wife, a child. You're like, come on, you need to stop. You're working hard. You need to eat. So the disciples were looking out for Jesus. They were urging him, saying, Rabbi, eat. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you don't know about. So the disciples said to one another, has anyone brought him something to eat? You see, there's a kind of nourishment, a kind of meal, a kind of health that is impossible for us to partake of unless we step into greater trust and step into greater obedience. I'm going to say that again. There is a kind of nourishment, a kind of meal, a kind of help, health that is impossible for us to partake of unless we step into greater obedience. You are missing out on a kind of health. You are missing out on a kind of nourishment. You are missing out on a kind of strength when you're denying obedience to what God is asking. Listen, playing it safe ensures we'll miss out on a kind of supernatural nourishment that is sure to strengthen our inner man. Now listen, the story continues with verse 34. Jesus says to them, he says something interesting. My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. My, my food is to do the will of God, to do the one who sent me, to accomplish his work. It's interesting how Jesus is ministering and even ministry, don't make me go there, even ministry nourishes him. A lot of times, oh, I'm so burnt out. I need to sit down for a little bit, right? And I get it. It's tired. It happens. But I want to tell you something. When you're ministering and someone is guarding your ministry and you're guarding your ministry, but you're giving out, you're doing it according to the will of God, it's not a burnout you get, but there's actually. And so if you are experiencing a burnout or if you feel like you're going too hard, then it's great to take a breather and pray and sit with counsel. But at some point in time, ministry is what we are called to. And I believe, and we believe here at this church, we believe in the ministry of the membership. There are too many churches that sit down and think that the pastor should do all the ministry. 
Pastor needs to do all the visitation, go visit all the hospitals, go do all the funerals, do all the weddings, do all the small groups, do all the teaching and all the preaching. To be honest with you, I'm just probably producing a codependent church. And I'm elevating myself to a place where me and my family can't handle it. And I'm also placing myself on a pedestal and everyone else just looks at the pastor like he's some sort of godlike figure. And although in the very beginning it feeds my pride, it sets me up for a failure in the long run. And so I, when Jamila and I determined to plant a church and to pray and to begin to move with people, we wanted to make sure that we incorporated ministry into the membership. Plus, you're missing out on some food. Seriously, some of you are malnourished in your walk with Christ because you're not activating your gifts. Because you're not serving somewhere consistently. Imagine the disciples like, man, you must be hungry. And he's just like, no, I'm good, man. Like, where did you get food at? And he said, my food is to do the will of the Father. You see, fasting strengthens us and prepares us for warfare. It even fills us up with supernatural nourishment unknown to natural man. Are you with me? But notice this, and this is important. Fasting is pointless unless you're willing to feast on God while fasting. Otherwise, you're dieting. Fasting is pointless if it's not partnered with feasting on God. Some of us, we go on a fast and we didn't read our word. We didn't worship all day. You just went on fast and just skipped food like you missed it. I wonder why your focus was so on food. Are you guys with me? All right, I'm going to continue to move forward. Next section, the second section is this. Fasting not only nourishes and strengthens us, but fasting empowers and sends us. I'm going to listen to this. Acts chapter 13. If you want, you can go there, Acts chapter 13, and we're going to read verses 1 through 3. Everybody good? Everybody getting excited? (laughs) No, not yet. Okay. Coming soon. (laughs) Acts chapter 13, 1 through 3 says this. Now there were in the church at Antioch prophets and teachers. Barnabas was there. Simeon, who's also called Niger, was there. I'm adding was there. Lucius of Cyrene, Menean, a lifelong friend of Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul, who we know as Paul, they were all there. Can you imagine? There were prophets, there were teachers, Barnabas was there, Paul, who at this time still hadn't changed his name to Saul, was there. Right? You have some amazing men of God, some powerful, anointed people were all at that church. Sounds like Inspire. <laughs> now listen, here's what I want you to get. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, he doesn't say before they fasted or, or he doesn't say, he says, while they were fasting and while they're worshiping, the Holy Spirit had a word for them. It wasn't before they did it, but while they were doing it, the Holy Spirit said something to them. Now listen to what the Holy Spirit says. Here's what the Holy Spirit says. He says, set apart for me Barnabas, and set apart for me Saul, who we will know as Paul, for the work of which I have called them. Then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on Barnabas and Paul and sent them off. There's something interesting in this story. Notice this. Inside of the church, there are prophets, there are teachers, there are evangelists, and they're all connected to this church. What a powerhouse church this is. Imagine if you went to the same church as Apostle Paul. There are prophets, there are teachers. The Apostle Paul is there. Barnabas is there. It's amazing. But here's what I want you to know. 
there were still important assignments that the Holy Spirit would only reveal in connection with fasting. There were important assignments, important direction and guidance that the Holy Spirit would only reveal through prayer and fasting. I don't know if we're seeing this. There are prophets. There are teachers. The Apostle Paul is there, but yet the Holy Spirit did not reveal the assignment to the prophets, did not reveal the assignment to the teachers. You have all of these people that are gifted and anointed, yet the Holy Spirit only revealed the assignment after the church gathered together in fasting. I'm sorry, I know this is not an American church message. I get it. The Golden Arches and Taco Bell are waiting for you, but we are going to miss the assignment of God over this church if we don't begin to pray and fast and honor the Lord and what he's called us to do. I get it. It's not the most exciting sermon. I get it. Chapter 13 is a great example on how fasting and prayer were instrumental in identifying and sending the right people out to accomplish a world evangelistic mission. In fact, as the church fasted together, God answered with an answer that literally changed the world. Like, let's take a step back and understand this for a second. Barnabas and Saul who eventually becomes Paul. Do you know their story in the New Testament? Do you know what Barnabas and Paul did? It's amazing. God answers the prayers and the fasting of the church by sending out Barnabas and Paul. And they took part in one of the most important ministry endeavors that changed the entire history of the world. Not only did they advance the gospel, but they took the gospel. Are you ready for this? And they broke it into the Western Roman Empire. Nothing in the world has ever been the same since the gospel broke through in the Western Roman Empire. You know that? Your history. Nothing has been the same since then. I want to inspire church to know something. Fasting is not obsolete. It's not old school. In fact, there is a wisdom the Holy Spirit has purposefully hidden in fasting. Wisdom that you and I would miss out on unless we humbly seek the Lord in fasting. Wow. It's almost like some things the Holy Spirit gives to you, and there are other things he says it's tucked away in deeper obedience, it's tucked away in deeper commitment. It's tucked away in a deeper trust in me. And some of us are like, I'm kind of scared to walk in obedience. I'm kind of scared to walk in trust. But if I trust the Lord and I walk into it, God has something for you revealed there. Isn't that really amazing? It's like when you serve the Lord, there's like a never-ending discovery process. You know, I once heard somebody say heaven, describe heaven like this. One of my favorite descriptions of heaven for us would be like, God is infinite, right? He is infinite. In other words, he is eternal. He is we couldn't know him if we had a million lifetimes to know him. He's always surprising. He's always creating. He's always, and somebody described heaven like this, that we would always be discovering something new about God, something beautiful about who he is and his creation. You know, I just imagine, 
you know, I, I'm a big fan of, um, I, like, I like natural, I like nature. So, you know, if I go to Hawaii and there's this tropical kind of paradise, like there's a, such beautiful scenery. I love visiting. I have my favorite beaches. And then I also love, so a long time ago, my family, we used to go out to Montana. And we used to go to like the, um, the different parks and regions that were up there. And I just love the forest and the river. But the whole point is one of my favorite things to do is just take a look at the beautiful views of God. That he's created. And I just imagine being in heaven and just constantly discovering and, and seeing just deeper and deeper views of who God is. And just such a beautiful thing. But I'm just saying, just imagine the wisdom of God. The Holy Spirit says, I'm going to invite you into deeper obedience and deeper trust. And when you step into that, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to reveal a new view to you that you haven't seen before. Not only is there wisdom, but there are divine assignments and callings. There is a mission for our church, and the Holy Spirit is just waiting to reveal them to us if we come together in prayer and fasting. Some of you in here today, God has a call over your life. All of you, actually. It's not just some. Everyone in here, God has gifts and callings over you, and the Holy Spirit is just waiting for us to go deeper so he can reveal what they are. Are you with me? It's crazy because I think the Holy Spirit knows who the next leaders of our church at Inspire is. He knows who our next pastors will be. I may not know, but there may be a pastor in here. There may be several pastors in here. He knows who are, where our next church plan is going to be located. He knows who he's going to send to the next church plants. There may be some of you in here sitting around, and a year or two years later, when we church plant, you may go. There may be somebody sitting in here right now. You may lead the thing. Yeah, it's quiet. <laughs> promise you it's great. In fact, he's probably calling you right now as I speak. Some of you in your heart is jumping because you know God is calling you to the deep. Our next home group is in here. Our next home group leader is in here. Yeah. Our next ministry teams and leaders are in here. Our next global missionaries are in here. Those people that we'll send to the nations are in here. The Holy Spirit is just waiting to reveal it all to us as we come together as a church, pray and fast. You know, as we do it this week, some of you are going to feel the call of God intensify. God is going to call you to help advance his mission in the church, in the city, in the world. Let's go to the third and final aspect of fasting. We talked about how it nourishes us and strengthens us. We talked about how it empowers and sends. And finally... This morning, I want to talk about just the revelation of New Testament fasting. Now, if you want to turn here, we're going to stay here for the duration of the time. Matthew chapter 9, and we're going to start with verse 14. Matthew chapter 9, verse 14. It's quiet. You know what that means? It means the Lord's speaking, that's all. He's speaking. Matthew chapter 9, verse 14. Are you ready? Matthew 9, verse 14. 
And we're going to read all the way to 17 together. We'll also have it up here. Scripture reads like this. Then the disciples of John, so these are the disciples of John the Baptist, they came to him, and this is what they said. So they came to Jesus saying, why do we and the Pharisees fast, but your disciples not fast? And Jesus said to them, can the wedding guests mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them? The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will fast. Now Jesus continues. He says something interesting. No one puts a piece of unshrunk cloth on an old garment, for the patch tears away from the garment, and a worse tear is made. Neither is new wineskin put into old wineskins. If it is, the skins burst, and the wine is spilled, and the skins are destroyed. But new wine is put into fresh wineskins, and so both are preserved. Now, there are two truths that emerge in the passage that I just read. First, everyone observed that during the life of Jesus, the disciples didn't fast. In fact, people came up to him and said, wait a minute, Jesus. Um, your disciples, since you've been here, they're not fasting. Now, this was a little odd because fasting was very much a part of the religious culture of the day. And so if you are Jesus claiming to be the son of God and these are your disciples, then why aren't they fasting? But Jesus says, it's not always going to be this way for my disciples. Here's the point Jesus was making. He was saying that his arrival signified a time of celebration. Are you with me? Jesus says, I am here. I am the son of God and I've come down to visit earth and my arrival here signifies joyful celebration. I've come to set the captives free. I've come to open the blind eyes. I've come to give my life as a ransom for many. The world will never be the same. And while I'm here, the disciples are celebrating. Are you with me? Much like a wedding celebration. <clears throat> but then Jesus says, but there will come a time when I will no longer be with my disciples. And he says, and it's in that time when the groom is taken away that fasting will continue. That's number one. Second, Jesus makes an odd comparison between the Old Testament, Old Testament way of fasting, which he calls old wineskins and unshrunk pieces of cloth on old garments. Likewise, he compares fasting the New Testament fasting or the fasting after he leaves to new wine, new wineskins. Now, here's what I want to tell you. I want to kind of break down. There is something about Christian fasting that sets it apart from the Old Testament practice of fasting. I want you to know that the New Testament practice of fasting is not the same from the Old Testament practice of fasting. Why? Watch this. Christian fasting, and this is going to be important. Christian fasting is a way for us to express our desire for our groom to return. It's a longing that all Christians should have for Jesus to come back and take his place as king of this world. The reason why Christian fasting is so unique is because Christ has already come. The groom has already been here. 
The bride has already seen him. The bride has already celebrated his power and his presence. She's felt his love. We've tasted and seen that he is good. And what we currently long for is based on something that we've got a glimpse of and we've already tasted. Are you with me? Jesus has come and Jesus has died for all sinners. His blood has cleansed us. His blood has removed our guilt. Somebody say amen. And he has already risen. And because he's risen, we will rise too. But that's not all. Jesus has not only come, but he's also left his down payment on us, called his Holy Spirit, a seal of our Christianity and our salvation. Now, new wine will only cause old wineskins to burst. And new cloth on an old garment will only rip it up and make it worse. As Christians, our fast is not based on a longing we have not seen. Our fast is based on an already present reality that Jesus has come. He has conquered. He has overcome Satan and he has overcome the grave. And he's risen and sitting at the right hand side of the father, interceding for his church. And he will one day come back. And do you know why he hasn't come back yet? Because he's waiting for you to get right. The only reason why the bridegroom delays is because he's waiting for the bride to prepare herself. Now watch. This is why Jesus rebukes the way the Pharisees currently practice their fasting on the Sermon on the Mount. Catch your favorite word. We can go full circle here. This is why Jesus rebukes the Pharisees. Remember a couple of weeks ago he rebukes them. He calls them hypocrites. We're back there again. This is why he rebukes them on the Sermon on the Mount. He says, when you fast, you look gloomy. You purposefully disfigure your face. You don't brush your teeth when you fast. You get dirt from the backyard and you put it all over you on purpose. You think that the more miserable you look, the more people will buy into your fraudulent holiness. This is powerful. Don't miss it. He says, that is old wineskin thinking. That is the kind of raggedy garment that can no longer be fixed, but only ripped further, rooting its appeal and rendering it useless because nobody would want that garment because it's ripped. Are you with me? Jesus confronts the Pharisaic fasting mentality because at the center of it is a wrong motivation that's even based on misery. Come on. Jesus says, a true disciple of mine will not dismember his face. He will not, abst- he will not uh, um, abstain from bathing. He will not purposefully look gloomy because a true follower of mine will practice new wineskin fasting. Now listen, a kind of fasting that has nothing to do with misery but is filled with the joy of the Lord. I mean, how many of you in here today have heard about fasting and it's a miserable thing? How many of you today have heard about fasting or seen people fasting? You know what? I don't want to do that. How many of you come from traditions and places where you would never fast because that's just something I don't look forward to? I don't look forward to missing the food. Jesus is saying a New Testament fast, a new wineskin fast is a fast of celebration. It's a fast of knowing something is greater to happen. It's a fast of knowing the kingdom. 
king. Are you with me? And even though you may miss food, you will get something greater. Gosh, if we only had a couple of churches in the Bay Area that looked like they love serving Jesus, maybe it'd be a little bit more full. We only had a people who loved serving Jesus and ministering for Jesus and smiled instead of looking miserable as they go to church. Maybe your church wasn't so miserable. Jesus confronts the Pharisees. He says, you look miserable because you think that's what fasting is supposed to look like. He says, but my people, when they practice fasting, they won't look miserable because fasting isn't miserable. You won't even have to fake it because fasting is supposed to bring a joy. I'm going to conclude here. (laughs) After I've been yelling at you for about an hour. For those of you who've been coming for a while, you know, okay, he's not mad, he's just passionate. I always apologize, and then I hear myself on the podcast. I'm like, why did you apologize? Just keep going. (laughs) So, Mark, can you edit that out, please? Thank you. (laughs) The reason why I say that is because I look at my conclusion. Keys to a joyful fast. (laughs) Got you. Number one. Don't look miserable, Phil. You just told him not to do it. Number one, look forward to fasting. Why? Because it's a way of showing Jesus is way more satisfying than food. Are you with me? There's a, there's a, a book that we were actually um, selling at the membership course called The Celebration of Discipline. There's a chapter on fasting, and part of it says this. In a time where we build temples with golden arches on every corner, how beautiful is it when we can deny our enslavement to food as a major part of our satisfaction and embrace Jesus as the ultimate source of our provision? (laughs) Temples to golden arches. Look forward to fasting because it's a way of showing Jesus that he's more satisfying than food. Number two, we look forward to fasting because it's a way of declaring that there is something greater in this life. But it's a way of declaring that there's not just something greater in this life, but there's something greater in the life to come. You know, we don't get it all here. In fact, we get pretty beat up here in this life. But we have promises in the age to come. We fast from what we can see and taste. Because we've tasted and seen the goodness of an invisible God. And we're hungry for more. We fast because we're hungry for more. And if fasting is tough for you, I don't want to beat you up. Some of us are in different walks in our Christian life. But you know that when I get my message, I I like to beat up the new ones and the old ones. And I like to beat up everybody the same. But my thing is this, look, if you haven't been walking with the Lord, you can just kind of listen from afar and say, yes, God, I want to get there. But if you've been, fa- if you've been a Christian for a while, I want to tell you this, that we fast because we're hungry for more. And if you aren't fasting, and if that's not a routine maybe inside of your life, A, you probably haven't been educated on it. So today you're like, okay, I'm getting more of the word in this. But B, you might not be hungry enough. 
Finally, number three, we look forward to fasting because although you'll be fasting on food, you'll be feasting on God. We look forward to fasting because although we'll be fasting food, we'll be feasting on God. Did you know that we can use food to glorify God? There's two ways you can do it. You ready? Everyone's going to love this first way. We feast on food with thanksgiving in our hearts, knowing that food is a sign of God's provision, that he gives us our daily bread. And so when we partake of food, we say prayer and we enjoy food. I don't want you to, food is fine, okay? Depends. Some of us, we need to be healthy, okay? But I'm saying is food overall is okay. I'm not saying food is bad. Food is an emblem and a sign of God's provision. And we partake of it with thanksgiving, knowing that God is our provider. So we glorify with our feasting. But the second thing is we fast from food. That's the second way we glorify God. We feast on food with thanksgiving. And the second way we glorify God with food is we fast from food, showing God that although the provision is good, the provider is greater. It's a way of denying a blessing to focus on the blesser. It's a way of saying, I love your gifts. I love your provision. But today I'm going to abstain from that so I can focus in beyond the gift beyond the provision and focus on the one who provides and the one who gives as the source of all strength and nourishment in my life. Now this is important. Every instance in scripture this morning did not have fasting alone. It was fasting and the word of God. Fasting and worshiping. It was fasting and praying. It's never fasting alone, but it's fasting in partnership with prayer, reading your word, and worship. Are you with me? Again, I said this before. If you fast alone, you're simply dieting. But when you fast and pray, you're fasting food and feasting on God. When you fast and read your word, you're fasting food and you're feasting on God. Are you with me? Inspired Churches aims to be a church that the city loves. We hope you enjoyed this week's sermon. Come back next week as Pastor Philip continues on the six-part series. For more information about how you can get involved or about our community, visit www.inspiredchurches.com.